Good morning. Um, glad that you're joining with us today. I'm Pastor Jake, and I have four kids, and I've learned that one of the sh- most sure ways to get them to do something is to tell them not to do it. Have you discovered this, like, unbreakable, universal, natural cosmic law before? Yeah. Don't touch that. They touch it. Don't go there. They go there. Don't look. They look. We're doing life group via Zoom uh, during this COVID-19 series, my wife and I. And so on Wednesday nights when we do life group, uh, we try to have our two youngest, four and six years old, uh, go down to the basement while we're upstairs doing life group. It's unfinished, but, you know, the, the nails aren't too sharp, rusted, but not too sharp. Plus they have tetanus, so it's totally fine. I'm just kidding. It's their playroom, all right? Lots of toys down there. And so life group is an hour and a half long. We want to be upstairs. We want them to stay downstairs during that time. And normally they can stay in the playroom with all their toys for hours upon end. No bathroom breaks, no emergencies, no I need mommy, anything like that. But as soon as we say, okay, Joshua, Hannah, we need you to stay in the playroom. Okay, stay in the playroom while we do life group. Don't come up until we come get you. As soon as we say that, it's like an alternate dimension is opened up, one in which they cannot, for the life of them, stay in the playroom with all of their toys for longer than 10 minutes. It's amazing. It's a, a, a law, an unbreakable law and principle woven into the foundation of the universe. Tell a kid what they can't do, tell a kid not to do something, and they immediately want to do it. And it's not just kids. I'm the same way too sometimes. Like my wife Erin will say, hey, I see you eyeballing that chocolate cake. Don't, don't eat that cake. That's for tonight. We have company coming over. Don't eat that. And I'm like, I want to eat that cake so bad. Not just because it's cake, because it's now, now it's like forbidden cake, right? I want it even more. You say something like, hey, don't look now, but they always look. They always look. And yet we were taught in Sunday school not to look when we're told not to look, right? We're in a series of messages called Not for Sunday School, where we're going through seven passages, seven stories in the Bible that you probably didn't hear growing up in Sunday school. Or maybe you heard them, but you didn't hear the rest of the story. In week one, we covered the walking dead in Matthew 27 that we tend to gloss over. Last week, we looked at Gideon's faithless fleece, in Judges chapter 6. Get those online uh, if you haven't watched those yet. Make sure you do that. Today, I want to talk to you about the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And I want to tell you kind of the rest of the story. Genesis 19, if you have your Bible, you can head over there. In Genesis 19, what we have is a smaller story within a larger account of Abraham's life. Abraham is the first of God's chosen people. He's, he's the, the father of the Israelites, okay? So his descendants will become the Israelites. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, one of which is Joseph. Joseph is the one with the coat of many colors who's sold into Egypt. And that makes a way for this family of God's chosen people to get through a famine. They go to Egypt because Joseph has influence. They're able to eat and get through this famine. And then those 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And the Israelites grow and grow and grow over 400 years in Egypt. And then they become slaves. And then we have Moses come in and we have the plagues and the Red Sea and the Exodus and all of that. Then after Moses, Joshua leads them into the promised land and we have the period of the judges and the kings. And so this is way before that. This is the first of God's chosen people, Abraham. And it's before his son Isaac is even born. And in Genesis 19, there's another guy in this story and his name is Lot. And Lot, Lot is Abraham's nephew. But he's more than just Abraham's nephew. Lot's dad has died, and most scholars believe that Abraham was like a father to Lot. And so in Genesis 19, Lot is grown. He has his own wife and two kids, two daughters, and they live in a city called Sodom. And they've been warned that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah uh, for their evil, for their wickedness. And so we pick it up in, in chapter 19 of Genesis Verse 17, this is an angel talking to Lot, and it says, And they brought them out, and one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Uh Uh-oh. Don't look back. We know this is going to go bad, right? Look at verse 24. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. You've heard this before, right? Lot and and his his family are saved and rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah. God rains down sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife looks back. She turns into salt Lot and his daughters barely escaped. They were in the city right before all this happens. Abraham, on the other hand, we find far away from the city. Look at verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of of a furnace. So we find Abraham far enough away from Sodom and Gomorrah that he's able to look down on the valley and see the smoke rising up. Look at the next verse, verse 29. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So pay attention to what is said here. God remembered whom? He remembered Abraham. God saved Lot because of Abraham, because Abraham loved Lot. But, but you've heard this story before, right? You've, you've heard this story. Maybe it was in Sunday school with the felt board and all of that. Maybe, maybe you even have the salt and pepper shakers. Lot's wife is the salt, all right? You, you've heard this story. You know how it goes and, and how Lot's wife looked back and we're not supposed to look back when God tells us not to look, you've heard of this. And this is, this is the end, right? Story over. Like we don't hear anything else about Lot. This is, the, is this the end of, of Lot's story? Maybe it's the end of the Sunday school version for good reason, but it's not the end of the biblical version. So let me tell you, let me do the Paul Harvey thing and tell you the rest of the story. To do that, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 13. So Genesis chapter 13. 
13. In Genesis chapter 13, we find Abram, who would become Abraham, and his nephew Lot. And Lot is grown up, and they both are being blessed by the Lord. And so the, the chapter just before this, in Genesis chapter 12, Abram receives this call from God. God calls him to go to a new place, away, away from where he's comfortable, away from his family and all of that. And, and God tells him, I'm going to make you into a great nation or multiple nations, actually, and you're going to bless the whole earth. And so Abram then gets his stuff together and takes Sarai, who would become Sarah, and Lot, and they follow God's will And so Lot is with him, and now God is blessing them for their faithfulness and their obedience. And each of them, Lot and Abraham, they have a lot of livestock. So look at verse 5 of chapter 13. It says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So, so there's a conflict brewing, and this conflict is going to cause a split, and it's going to cause a, a change in the trajectory of Lot's life. Look at verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And so Abraham, who loves Lot like a son, tells Lot, hey, let's, let's deal with this before it blows up. Like We are family. We love each other. Let's handle this. And just like a father would, Abram says, you get, you get the first choice of the land. You, you get to choose where you go, and I'll go the opposite direction. And so Abram has modeled for Lot what it means to obey the Lord, what it means to be righteous before him. And now it's Lot's turn, Lot's chance to make his own decision for the Lord. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Okay, so the criteria Lot uses to choose which way he's going to go, what land he's going to go with, is pretty clear, right? It's all physical. It's all material. And so he chooses the land that that he likes best, that looks best for himself. There doesn't seem to be any consideration for who his neighbors will be, what influences his kids will be raised under. He just wants to be richer. He just wants to be more prosperous. And so then Lot chooses land near Sodom. He goes near, even though he knows that Sodom has wicked people, it's well known that Sodom is full of wickedness, Lot still chooses land near Sodom. Sometimes sin, sometimes sin looks really, really good. Look at verse 12. Genesis, verse 12 of Genesis 13 says this, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So it was a wicked place 
And he knew it. And yet Lot still chose land near Sodom. And now we find him moving his tent right next to Sodom. First it's near Sodom. Now it's right next to Sodom, even though he knows the wickedness of the land. And then that's not the end of Lot's progression. Because in the next chapter, in chapter 14, we find these kings, these four kings from four different cities coming against Sodom and Gomorrah. They attack the cities and they take all their possessions away. And let me just show you a little verse from that that gives gives us a clue into Lot's progression here. It's verse 11 of Genesis 14. It says, So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah And all their provisions and went their way. Look at verse 12. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions. And they went their way. So so Lot chose land near Sodom. Then he chose to live next to Sodom. Now we find Lot living in Sodom. This is his progression. He knows the wickedness of Sodom, and yet he slowly moves towards it anyway. Each move is a move towards what he knows to be evil and farther away from what he knows to be good, farther away from Abraham. Over the next few chapters in the Genesis account of Abraham and Lot's life, we don't We don't hear much about Lot. So we fast forward then to to chapter 18 of Genesis. In chapter 17 and 18 in Genesis, that's when a couple angels show up to visit Abraham and Sarah to tell them that they will in fact have a son, Isaac, and they'll have him very soon. And so we pick up the story right after that. Abraham is basically seeing the angels out. He's saying bye to them as they leave after making this pronouncement and declaration to he and Sarah. And then look at verse 20, um, chapter 18 of Genesis, verse 20. It says, Then the Lord said, the angels are talking, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the implication here is that they're going to go check and see how bad Sodom and Gomorrah have gotten. And and if the outcry against them is true, then they're going to destroy, the implication is they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham's nephew, who's like a son to him, Lot, And his family, they live. They live in Sodom. They're they're back living there after after Abraham rescues them later. So they're living there. So Abraham is, is worried about that. In the next few verses, what we have is Abraham interceding with God for the, the, the people of Sodom. And, and basically, he asks God, how many righteous people need to be in Sodom for you to not destroy the whole city based on the wicked? Would it be 50? If, if there are 50 righteous people, would you, would you relent from destroying the city? And God goes, yeah, if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, I won't destroy it. 
And Abraham says, what about five less than that? Like 45, is that, would that work? And, and God goes, yeah, 45 are there. Righteous people are there. I won't destroy it. And then he just keeps going. Abraham keeps going. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? And God goes, yeah, if that many righteous people are in Sodom, I won't destroy it. And then he gets all the way down. Abraham gets all the way down to 10, 10 righteous people. Look at verse 32 of Genesis 18. Abraham said, suppose 10 are found there. And the Lord answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. So Abraham, Abraham is interceding for Sodom, but I think more so he's interceding for Lot and his family. He loves him. He doesn't want him to be destroyed in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it's down to 10 righteous people. Lot's married and has two daughters. That's four. So if Lot has just led six other people to begin living righteous lives, righteous lives for the Lord, if he's just led six others to be righteous, then the whole city will be saved. All he needs is ten. Ten and all. Look at 19, Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So the fact that Lot is sitting in the gate means that he's influential, he's probably rich, um, he, he's well known. They probably like him because Abraham, his uncle, saved the whole city back in Genesis chapter 14. So they probably, they probably like him for that reason. But the gate of the city, this is the entry point for all trade, all gossip, all politics, all everything. And so Lot is doing well in Sodom. He's posting up. He is doing well in Sodom. And then what happens next in this passage just kind of shows the depravity, the, 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 how bad it's gotten in the city of Sodom. Lot is sitting at the gate and he's able to see that these guys aren't just, aren't just men, they're angels. And so he stands up and he, he invites them to come stay with him that night. And the angels, they say, no, we're going to go the, to the town square. We don't want to stay with you. And Lot insists and persists. And, and so the angels end up going with Lot. Lot cooks some dinner. And just after dinner, this happens in verse 4 of chapter 19. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us. Bring them out to us that we may know them. This is, this is the depravity of Sodom. This is how wicked Sodom has gotten. To the last man, every single man comes and tries to do this wicked thing with these visitors in Lot's house. But you already knew that, right? Like you already knew the depravity of Sodom. That's why, that's why God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. So you, you already knew that part of the story. But let me, let me show you something that happens next. Verse 6. Lot went to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. What? Do you see, do you see the progression here? Do you see the progression? Lot first moves near Sodom. 
Then he decides he's going to move next to Sodom. Then he moves into Sodom. And now Sodom has moved into Lot. As he offers his daughters, his virgin daughters, to these men who would do wicked things. It's crazy. Do you see the, do you see the progression here? It's, it's crazy. Luckily, the men don't want the daughters. And so they try to break down the door to get the other men, the angels who are visiting to, to come out. They try to break down Lot's door. And the angels strike the men of the city with blindness. And even then, even when they're struck with blindness, they, they persist in their, their evil plan. They, the Bible says that they just keep groping for the door until they wear themselves out. This is the depravity of Sodom. And so the angels, they, they look at Lot and they go, listen, there's a, we're going to destroy the city. These are all the men. There's no righteous people here. We're going we're to destroy the city. You need to get your family out of here. And so Lot goes and tells his sons-in-law, or maybe it's, it's the men who are pledged to be his daughter's husbands. It's unclear. He goes and tells them what's going to happen. They don't believe him. They think he's joking. And then you know what happens next. Look at verse 15 of chapter 19. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And then look at the next verse, verse 16. But he lingered. Lot lingered. He lingered in Sodom. He lingered with destruction looming imminent. He, he lingered. And then you know what happens next. The angels get Lot and his wife and his daughters out of the city just in time. The Lord destroys the city. Lot's wife looks back and is turned into a pillar of salt. And so Lot is now a widower, a single dad of two daughters. But what happens to him? Do you know? Have you ever read what happens to Lot? Is this the end? Is this the end of the story in Genesis of Lot and his daughters? Nope. That, that may be the end of the Sunday school version for good reason. But it's not the end of the biblical version. Lot and his daughters end up living in a cave. And look at Genesis 19 verse 31. And the firstborn, talking about Lot's daughters, the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come to us, come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. Lot's daughters look up, realize that they live in a cave, and they're not going to have any husbands, and they're not going to have any sons, and so their answer to that is incest. Their answer is to get their dad drunk. That's their plan, and they enact it over the next two nights, and it works. It works. They get pregnant. So Lot chose land near Sodom. Then he chose to move right next to Sodom. Then he moved into Sodom, and then Sodom moved into him. And now, Sodom has been passed on to his daughters. It lives in them. 
this is, this is the progression, Lot's progression. But our progression is the same. The, the sin of Sodom lives on. You've no doubt heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how it's destroyed, how Lot's wife is turned into salt, all of that. But what I've given to you is the not for Sunday school version. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah lives on. This is Lot's progression, but it's our progression as well. Sodom is sin. We live close to sin, near sin. Then we move right next to sin. Then we live in sin. And then that sin lives in us. And then finally, we pass that sin on to our sons and our daughters. It lives in them. Lot inched his way towards Sodom, what he knew to be wicked, what he knew to be sinful. He inched his way towards it slowly. And it had an effect on him. It changed him. It lived inside of him. He knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was, was wicked and evil, and yet he inched towards it all the same. He was enticed by the good land. He was enticed by a promise of prosperity and wealth, and so he went. I mean, maybe Lot thought that he could be strong enough to, to withstand the temptation. Maybe he didn't want to withstand the temptation. He wanted to live in sin. Who knows? But don't miss the warning here, beloved, to choose proximity to sin is to choose sin itself. If you knowingly move close to sin, it's the same as jumping all the way in. There is no difference. And no matter how slowly you move towards that sin, eventually you'll not only be living in that sin, but that sin will be living in you. And like Lot and his daughters, what used to be obviously wicked, what used to make you sick, will all of a sudden seem like a good idea. When you move close to sin, it's the same as jumping right in. Choosing proximity to sin is choosing sin itself. It's only a matter of time. And listen, we're all sinful, I get that, but Every day you have a choice to flee from temptation or flirt with it. Flee from temptation or flirt with it. Most of us don't choose to jump into temptation and sin the first time we see it. We choose to move close to it, near to it, and then over time we get into it and then it gets into us. There's a process there, a progression there. Remember, Lot's progression just started with him wanting wealth. He just, wanted, he just wanted wealth despite what it would cost him. But, but it's the same. It's the same with a, a dependence on alcohol or drunkenness. Listen, if you need alcohol to get through COVID-19, this is for you. If you need alcohol to get through e-learning with your kids, you've got a problem. And if you're a Christ follower, who struggles with the dependence on alcohol, then you don't have it in your house. You don't go to bars and hang out. You don't hang out with people who drink all the time. You don't flirt with temptation. You flee from it. Men, pornography is the great marriage killer. 
And it starts before you're married. So this is for single men as well. You, you don't watch Netflix shows that have a little bit of nudity in them. You don't watch rated R movies that have a, a little bit of sex in them. Any more than you would drink something that has a little bit of poison in it. You don't stay up late at night in a dark room by yourself with your computer or another device when temptation is at its worst. You don't, you don't have any device that's not filtered and reported to your wife or an accountability partner. You don't flirt with temptation. You flee from it. Worrying. If you're a worrier, you don't, you don't hang out with other worriers. You don't watch the news over and over and over during the day. You don't scroll through Facebook incessantly. You don't flirt with temptation. You flee from it. Greed and materialism. Listen, if that's your struggle, you don't look at what other people have all the time. You don't hang out with people who spend money like it's growing on trees. You, you, as fast as you can, you get money out of your hand and into the hands of those who need it most. You don't flirt with temptation. You flee from it. You don't compromise. Lot compromised. And listen, beloved, there's more. Let me, just, let me just plead with you for just a few moments here. Let me, let me just plead with you for a few moments. Maybe as I went through all of those just a second ago, you answered each of them with pride. Oh, I'm good. I don't need to go to that kind of length to get away from temptation. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I got it handled. It's no big deal if I look at a little porn every now and then. It's no big deal if I spend too much want too much, waste too much. It's no big deal if I need a glass of wine, a glass of whiskey, a beer to get through the day. I got it handled. And maybe, maybe you do, but you know who doesn't? Your kids. I mean, maybe you think you can flirt with the line and stay safe. You can play with fire and not get burned. I seriously doubt it. But you know who definitely can't? Your kids. Your children. Lots of kids couldn't either. Because your compromise will become your children's comfort. You may have all this inner turmoil inside of you. You're feeling bad and you're slowly moving towards this sin and wrestling with it and all of that. That might be going on on the inside of you, but your kids don't see that. They just see the result, the sin, the compromise, the action. And it looks normal to them. It's comfortable to them. That sin that you are slowly compromising to get into and give yourself over to, that will be your kid's starting point. Your compromise will become your kids' comfort. And Lot's daughters thought incest was a good idea. That's not so crazy if you think back to when Lot's answer to the mob at his door was to offer those same daughters to them. It's because your compromise will become your kids' Comfort. I see this in families all the time. Families who choose to fill their schedules and their lives with everything. Activities and sports and travel and trips and, and all of this stuff. So much so 
that, that they started out saying, you know, you know, Christ is primary in our lives and gathering with the saints every single week and being plugged in and challenged and growing in our faith is primary and, and youth ministry is, is primary. We're going to get our kids in youth ministry every single week because our one job as parents is to present them to Jesus having led them in the way of the Lord. Their spiritual destiny is primary so youth ministry is going to be primary. I see it all the time. They start there and they move from there to well... No big deal if we don't go to life group and our kids don't do youth ministry because of practice and because we got the play coming up and whatever else. That's, that's no big deal. We'll still go on Sundays. We'll still go on Sundays. And then they move from that to, ah, uh, it's okay if we miss Sundays every now and then for a game or a production or whatever. Like, it's no big deal if we miss a Sunday. Like, church attendance isn't what this is all about anyways. This is about a relationship with Jesus and so it's no big deal that we miss Sundays every now and then. And they move from that to, well, once a month is enough. We just, we just need to be in church once a month, and then we'll be fine. And then from that to, uh, we won't be back to church till after baseball season, after softball season, after football season, after the play's over, after wrestling. They've compromised. And listen, Here's the tricky part. There's some truth in what you're saying. We're not about church attendance for church attendance sake. And you're not going to get to heaven based on your attendance record at Great Oaks Community Church. There's some truth in your logic and what you're thinking. There's some truth in it. But listen, your kids don't understand that. You may think they do, but they do not. All they see is the action, the compromise, the result. All they see is the black and white. We don't go to church when we got something better to do. And then what was a compromise for you is comfortable to them. It's their starting point when they get older. Now, what about your grandkids? Listen, thank God that even after the fact, he can intervene and change this when your kids are older. But may God have mercy on our souls. If we as fathers set our children up for failure in this way. The last we hear of Lot is, is Genesis chapter 19, but the consequences, they last for the whole Old Testament base. I mean, the consequences are huge. Let me show you what I mean. It's verse 37 of Genesis 19. It says, the firstborn, they're talking about Lot's daughters, the firstborn, bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He's the father of the Ammonites to this day. So the consequences were absolutely huge. I mean, these, these sons of Lot and his daughters, they, they become enemy nations of Israel. They become people groups that will cause all kinds of problems for Israel. I mean, this results in tens of thousands of God's chosen people, God's children being murdered. Decades of slavery, centuries of false idol worship. The consequences for Lot's compromise are huge. So it is for us. The consequences for our compromise will also be huge. But there's another way. 
beloved, there's another way. Instead of, instead of having Lot's legacy, you can have Abraham's legacy. Let me show you what I mean. In Hebrews chapter 11, real quick before we close. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8, says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You tell your kids not to look, not to touch that, not to do that, because you see better than them, you see farther than them, you know the consequences, you know the pain. So it is with God. He has clearly laid out for us what is sin and what is not. Beloved, you are not walking blindly through a minefield here. He's clearly said in his word, this will hurt you. This will cause pain. This is sin, but this is safe. Stay over here. He's clearly laid that out in the word. Why? Because he loves us. Because he sees farther than us. Because he wants good for us. And just as Abraham knew, He's trying to get us to something better on the other side. A city whose builder and designer is God. A world without temptation or sin. A world without Sodom. On the map or in our hearts. Wherever you're joining us from, watching a computer, watching a TV screen, in your kitchen, in your living room, on your phone, I would love for you to enter with me into kind of a quiet moment of prayer together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, thank you for your word that even way back in Genesis 19 and the story of Abraham and Lot, the account of what happened with, with Abraham and with his nephew, that even in that, something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago, you speak to us because your word is timely. It's for us. It changes us every time. So Lord, I just pray that that's what's remembered, that your word is remembered. Whatever's of me would be quickly forgotten and whatever's of you this week would stick with us and would like a seed find in the hearts of many good soil and bear fruit. That repentance and change would come from this. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, I just want to give you a moment to think through how this message applies to you. As we think through Lot's progression with Sodom and our progression with sin, where are you at in that progression? Maybe you've chosen recently to, to just live near some sin and, and you're able to correct that quickly. Maybe you're right next to it. Maybe you're living in that sin. Maybe the progression has gone all the way and that sin lives in you and it's beginning to live in your children as well. Here's what I want you to understand. No matter where you are in that process, there's hope. There's a way out. Listen, 
We, we put Lot and Abraham kind of juxtaposed against each other to give us a bad example and a good example today. But in reality, Abraham made mistakes too. He did not always choose righteousness. He, he also moved near sin and next to sin, and he had sin living in him. The difference is that Lot seemed to never stop. He went all the way through that progression without ever stopping, without ever changing, without ever confessing. He didn't do what Abraham did. Here's what Abraham did. Abraham repented. Repentance just means that you're honest about your sin and you move in a different direction. You move away from sin and towards Jesus. So wherever you are in that process, two things I want you to understand. One, the answer is repentance. Move away from it. Tell somebody this sin. Get help. Be smart. Flee from temptation. Don't flirt with it. Repent. And the other thing I want you to understand is there's always hope in the life-transforming truth of the gospel. There's always hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter how long you've been walking with this sin, no matter how late you feel it is in the game to make a change, there's always hope because it's the supernatural power of God, the Holy Spirit, that gets us away from this sin to begin with. And so maybe you need to confess and repent. Maybe you know that you've slowly moved towards this. You've known the whole time, but you've just been ignoring God. And today is your day to repent. Listen, the angels came and told Lot, hey, get out of the city. We're about to destroy this thing. And Lot lingered. This message today to you, if you're living in sin or near it, next to it, or it's living in you or whatever, this is like the angels. This message is like the angels coming to you and saying, hey, this thing's about to be destroyed. You need to get out. Don't be like Lot. Don't linger. Instead, run the other direction as fast as you can. Maybe today you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Make a decision for him. If that's you, we want to pray with you, talk with you. Just click, if you're on greatoaks.online, just click the hand raise button and that'll let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. Click live prayer so we can talk to you. If you're on Facebook or somewhere else, comment so that we can connect with you. Whoever's in the room with you right now, tell them you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to repent of your sin for the first time. You've been living in sin with no regard for anything else. And today's the day of your salvation. We would love for that to happen today. Jesus is your only hope of salvation. Give your life over to him today. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you move in us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to move through conviction today. I know that our tendency will be to answer with pride, to go, oh, it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal, to find friends and people who will kind of pat us on the back enough that, that we don't do anything about this sin. Other people who struggle with the same sin and, and do the comparison game. I know, God, that that will be our tendency. I pray, Holy Spirit, that that is stopped right now in Jesus' name. And that instead we welcome your conviction. And even if it's painful, even if it's difficult, we make decisions today to move away from sin and towards you, Jesus. For those who want to give your, their life over to you, I pray, God, that you would give them the boldness to speak to you, to ask you to change their lives, to transform them. And may today be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Uh, make sure you're getting into a life group. We're still doing those on Zoom, like I mentioned earlier. Um, people are jumping into life groups even now. And so just let us know. There's a link in the comments. We'd love for you to get plugged into a life group and talk this over with them this week. And then as always, my challenge to you is to, to close your computer, to turn off your TV, to move towards lunch or whatever, to leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. We'll see you next week. Let's sing one last song together.